0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Just waiting on Dan to jump into the Spotify green room, formerly known as locker room we have some people joining right now got dan who just joined dan you know what to do lucas was good how you doing my man we're gonna talk about this matchup the denver broncos dan are you excited for week one football
2: is finally back can you hear me nick
1: i got you bro i got you how you doing
2: good man it's been a while how you doing bro i'm doing well man. How's, how's jersey Good, good, good. Uh, Coming off my dominant performance in our best ball auction, it feels really good to walk back into the room just knowing, just looking at the team, just looking at your team, looking at all eight others and just knowing, listen, I'm most likely going to win this league. (laughs) That
1: is uh, some hubris right there, absolutely. But, uh, I mean, yeah, your team is solid in that league. But, I mean, it's a 10-team league, so a lot of teams are.
2: So uh, we'll see. I'd refer to it as stacked, but that's fair.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. We'll see how that all transpires. <laughs> Were you an unlucky Gus Edwards owner?
2: I was not, and no one I know in this world—not, uh, I guess, dislikes—not the word, but is less interested in trash talk than you. It's like it just doesn't like interest you at all. It never gets you going. You have like you're like just not into it at all. It, it sucks. It sucks to trash talk somebody who just doesn't enjoy trash talk. Yeah, no, I'm not, I don't know, I've never really been a big trash talk guy,
1: even back to my uh, competitive athletic days playing hockey and uh, football, just, just was always very uh, Larry Fitzgerald about it.
2: (laughs) It's surprising too, given how competitive you are.
1: I know, it's a very odd uh, trait, I'm not really 100% certain why it's like that, but I've always been like that, even when I was a
2: kid. Well, that's a good thing, I guess, it's better not to be, but some people like me like to have fun with it, but let's talk Giants football. Excitement for week one building. Kenny Galladay should be playing, though. Who knows what he's going to look like. I was expecting good things, and then like I heard Jordan on who was like, he looks really um, tight at practice. He really doesn't look loose out there. So who knows if that's just like, he's, he still needs some time there. Waiting to hear more on that. Saquon Barkley, I think, is going to play a much bigger role than people expect, and that's exciting to me. Kadarius um, Tony looks like he might be out there now. I think they're blowing a lot of smoke here, Nick. I'm curious what your take is on this. I would guess we're only going to see Tony for like a handful, and I mean like tr- a true handful—five or less offensive snaps. What do you think about that?
1: I think he'll be in for more than than five snaps, but I don't think it's going to be a significant role as they purport. It just—I don't know—the guy hasn't really seen the field that much within the Giants' offense. This is his first year in the NFL. I'm not going to expect a huge workload. For Kadarius, Tony. So if I had to put a snap on, or like snap percentage, or I'll just go with uh, snaps. I mean, I think like 15 or something. Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not really 100% certain if he would be out there a lot in like 11 personnel with a healthy Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, who looks like he's going to be fine from the little injury he suffered in the preseason, and Sterling
2: Shepard. Yeah, it's just so hard for me to believe he has a good gra- good enough grasp right now of the playbook. I guess time will tell. I hope he's out there. Honestly, I hope they use him on at least one jet sweep. Screw it. Put it in. It's Time. Get it in. Use him in motion. Fake jet sweep. Whatever you got to do, try to move this offense a little bit. Because one thing I think is interesting, Mark Schofield, I had this conversation with actually a um, Giants fan in Connecticut, or yeah, in Charlotte. Sorry, I always get that wrong. Giants fan in Charlotte on Twitter. He said, uh, you know, he was pointing to something Mark Schofield said, and Mark Schofield in his analysis and preview of this Broncos game basically essentially said, listen, I think that... Actually, hold on, Nick. Before I get to this, I wanted to ask... I, I, didn't... I, want... I want to get more people on, so i got to tweet out the link. because Nobody has the link. So before I did that, I wanted to ask you, what would you... While I'm doing that, because that takes time, it takes effort. Not only effort, but it's hard to multitask. You know me. I, I'm not able to multitask very well. Um, so... Let me ask you first to break down what you would consider to be the most important matchup in this game. I'm going to tweet out the link to get more people in the green room, and then we're going to dive back into the point Mark was making, because I want to hear your thoughts on that. So the default important
1: matchup that my mind first goes to has to be these Giants tackles against Bradley Chubb, who may not play in this game. He was limited in practice. We'll see with his lower body injury. I'm imagining he's going to play, but I ain't no doctor and Von Miller. Th- that would be my uh, most interesting matchup because I think it's one that could absolutely tank this game if the matchup goes incredibly south for the Giants and Jason Garrett doesn't necessarily have a game plan to kind of, l- not I want to say eliminate Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, but just mitigate their effectiveness, kind of like what he did against the Washington football team last year, twice with Chase Young and Montez Sweat. That's definitely the first one that I'm, I guess, interested in seeing. But I also want to just i mean i think pat Shermer versus from a macro perspective pat Shermer versus patrick graham is a is a gigantic chess piece matchup that i'm just so interested to see how that breaks down so from a coaching perspective i mean there's a there's a couple different really really interesting ones but just one-on-one i would have to go offensive line against edges
2: yeah i think that coaching matchup super interesting and it's interesting you bring up that point because basically this conversation i was having with Giants and charlotte based on you know a little bit about what Mark thinks is going to play out. And I agree with him. I think what's going to play out is a lot like what we saw in those two Washington games last year, where Jason Garrett essentially says, listen, we don't want to put too much on Jones's plate from a post-snap processing standpoint, because we're going against Vic Fangio, who's one of the best in the game when it comes to tricking quarterbacks after the snap. And he says, listen, we don't want to put him in too many play-action situations, because this is something that actually Mark and Giants and Charlotte were talking about. Essentially, you know, if you're running a lot of play-action spots, it gives you that half-second or that full second less with your back turned to the defense as a quarterback. And when you flip around, you better be good. You better be quick. You better be good at processing that defense, because otherwise you're going to see a lot of what we saw from Jones throughout his career, where he's kind of looks a little bit deer in the headlights-ish when it comes to, you know, that first read he thought was going to be there isn't there. Now what does Jones do? You know, at times when that first read isn't there, he has a t- tough time getting to, through the progressions, and getting to the right decision, because... It's not what Jones expects to see post snap, And it's going to be harder this game in my mind than almost any game this season. That's how much respect I have for what Vic Fangio does on the defensive side of the ball from a schematic standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. So I do think, and this is what Mark thinks as well, we'll probably see a similar game plan to what we saw in those two Washington games where the whole design of the offense is to get the ball out really fast, is to minimize those situations that put Jones in tough spots, and it's to protect those offensive tackles. Andrew Thomas and Nate Soldier. it looks like, will be starting. And you know, it's an okay it's an okay game plan for what they have, I guess. But man, it seems like the lim- the upside is capped when that's your game plan. It was capped against Washington. The Giants simply didn't move the ball in that second Washington game. They only won because they had five turnovers on defense. The offense was not good that day. First Washington game, pretty similar story. So, I don't know, man. It's hard to get too excited about this match from the offensive side of the ball, which is why eventually we'll talk about the Giants' defense versus Steady Bridgewater, because that's the exciting part. But do you feel like we might see something different, or they're kind of back into a corner here with their tackle situation and kind of, you know, against Vic Fangio? Now, this is, from a scheme Perspective, I, I
1: agree 100% with the assessment you just laid out. And it makes a lot of sense. You don't, I mean, you have young tackles who have struggled, who haven't been overly consistent. You don't want Von Miller and Bradley Chubb to impact the game as much as they potentially can. So you want to slow them down. How do you do that? You kind of take the air out of the football a little bit, establish the run. Don't take too many risks when you throw the football. I'm sure they're going to take a couple shot plays if the running game kind of gets going. But I essentially expect a lot of quick game, a lot of what those Washington games look like. But I would say that there are reasons to get excited just because we are seeing a healthy Saquon Barkley for the first time since week two. We are seeing somewhat of Kenny Galladay. I don't know how healthy he is. Uh, Jordan Ronan, as you said, uh, claimed that he didn't look all that great in practice. We'll, we'll uh We'll kind of see you on Sunday, and we get to see Kadarius Tony. So I think there are reasons to certainly get excited just to see those guys back on the field. And I know you would agree with this as well. But from a scheme standpoint, I do expect a more conservative approach. That's probably the wisest thing Jason Garrett could do, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I think I don't know if I would call it the wisest thing. I think there are a wiser things for me. There are ways to to get around to that on simply just like go into that shell of of protecting the quarterback and getting the ball out quick. There's different ways, even without you know having full confidence in your tackles, in my mind at least. But you know it's not something I expect to see from James and Garrett not in this system. So for what they have right now and for what they're working with, I think it's probably the best way. And you know you can, I really think Saquon Barkley will be the X factor if the Giants win. As crazy as it sounds, I mean obviously we don't have too much info on his situation, but they're going to need a pop big play. They're going to need explosive plays, and right now. I have more confidence in the run game popping explosive plays and potentially the screen game or the quick passing game to Barkley than I do the passing game in this matchup because this matchup, it's going to be tough to pop explosive plays in the passing game with a somewhat gimpy Galladay who hasn't practiced and has no rapport with Jones, with two offensive tackles who struggled in the preseason, with The best, in my mind, or the second or third best defensive schemer in the game in Vic Vanduil. With really good corners on the Broncos side of the ball. With Justin Simmons, one of the best safeties. With potentially Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Two really good edges. So with all that said, I feel like their best bet is going to be running those same run plays that worked toward the end of the season. Having Barkley pop one. So that's where my excitement lays the most on this offense at Saquon Barkley. I agree with you 100% in that, Nick. Nick. It has to man it has to and i mean
1: i i got i'm not gonna lie I'm, I'm excited to see 26 back out there too i mean spend the number two overall pick on him you know that's a highly contested decision but you know regardless this is an incredibly explosive player probably one of the more fun players in the national football league to follow and watch when he has the football on, in his hands so it's uh it's gonna be cool man but what about on the uh, def- uh you look at pat Sherman, man he how are you looking at the uh, defensive matchup for the Giants? I mean, this is a matchup I feel like, as much as I respect Pat Shermer, I feel like Patrick Graham, with the personnel that the Giants now have with a healthy Dory Jackson, I feel like the Giants could stifle the offense of the Broncos. I mean, this could be one of those ugly 16-13 type of games. I think well, with Blue Wire, I predicted it to be like a 20-16 to uh, loss for the Giants, but I can easily see that going the other direction.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you should, if you're a gambler, you should be banging the under here. The under has moved a lot. I got it at 43.5. Now it was, then it moved to 42.5. Now it's at 41.5, the over under for this game. Bang the under. I can totally see that being the case. I think points will be hard to come by. But I will say this one thing that scares me about the flip side matchup, with the Giants defense versus the Broncos offense, is the Giants run defense in the preseason didn't look all that special to me at all. They've lost some pieces. Dalvin Tomlinson. Who you've gone to bat for is one of the most underrated players, not only in the Giants, but in the NFL over the last three years. Off the defense, obviously, now. They no longer have him. Trying new things on the inside with Carter Coughlin at inside background and some of the first team reps with Blake Martinez. And the run defense didn't look all that special to me in the preseason. And the Broncos' run game started to get going at the end of last year. The Broncos' offensive line, more specifically, is a really good offensive line now, and simply because they hired Mike Munchak, it seems. I mean, listen, Mike Munchak turns Garrett Bowles, who was turning into looking like a borderline bust first-round pick, into a guy who gets a massive contract extension and one of the better tackles last season, all in one offseason. That's how good Munchak is. And that entire Broncos offensive line took a massive step forward. I expect in year two with Munchak, he takes an even bigger step forward, because we've seen this before with Mike Munchak coached offensive line. The Steelers ran a really strong top ten consistent offensive line year after year without adding that many first-round picks, second-round picks, anything to that offensive line. It was simply just a really cohesive and well-coached unit. So I am a bit scared of that. I'm not scared of Teddy Bridgewater in the passing game. I think Patrick Graham's going to confuse the hell out of him. I think that even though the Broncos have all those receivers, the Giants have defensive back horses to hold up with them, plus Patrick Graham. But the run game scares me a little bit in this matchup, Nick, I'll be honest.
1: One matchup that uh, or Lucas uh, requests to speak, and I'm going to bring him in in a second, but I would say one matchup that may concern me is if Pat Shermer moves Jerry Judy into the slot. He played about a third of the, his uh, snaps out of the slot, and then they get him isolated in man coverage against someone like Darnay Holmes. I think that could be something that could be somewhat problematic for the Giants if uh, they're not able to adjust to that, which I'm sure they would, but that's definitely a matchup I, I'm going to be paying attention to on Sunday.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply
2: need to hire. You need indeed. Yep. I agree. That's another really important match Whoever Weber is in that slot. The Broncos have really good receiver corp. I think KJ Hamler was one of my favorite draft prospects. I love him. I think he's a talented player. Court Sunman. son, man. He looked really good in that final preseason game, the way he cut on that ACL. I mean, for a man that size to be able to plant his foot and create and just kind of create that kind of separation on a cut like that, it definitely scares me. But I just feel like Patrick Graham will have a good time uh, scheming against Teddy. Absolutely. All
1: right, Lucas, we're going to bring you in here, man. What's going on? How you doing? Good. How are you guys? Man,
2: I'm chilling. What about you, Dan? Yeah, doing well, Lucas. Getting ready for tonight.
3: All right, well, uh, you kind of may have already answered but I was wondering, like, where do you think uh, the Broncos' defense could be exploited the most um, since they sound like a pretty solid group? Where can uh, Jason Garrett kind of utilize our guys the best?
1: Honestly, this is, this is an interesting one uh, for me, Lucas, and if you could, you could put yourself on mute because it just seems like there's a lot of feedback coming from your end. Thank you. Yeah, so when I look at the Broncos' defense, I was trying to find a weak spot. that doesn't seem to be a glaring one. If you look at their back end, they have the established veteran Kareem Jackson, hard-hitting, undersized player who's just seen the game from so many different perspectives throughout his career as a cornerback and now it's transitioned into safety. Justin Simmons, one of the most underrated players in the league. Their cornerback room, I mean, Bryce Callahan was a name everybody talked about last year. He's somebody who stepped up when he was healthy last year for Denver. They add Patrick Sertain. They bring in... a. Uh, they bring in uh, uh, Ronald Darby. I mean, they, they're really, really deep in the secondary. And then their linebackers aren't huge names, Josie Jewell and A.J. Johnson. But, you know, talking to people who are affiliated with the Broncos or cover the Broncos, I mean, they're pretty solid, I would say. But if I had to pick a matchup, and it's kind of harkens back to the 2017 Penn State versus Iowa game, I would like to isolate Saquon Barkley and man coverage on Josie Jewell because I think that could be a matchup where you can get a, a pretty big athletic disparity and Saquon Barkley can de- definitely expose that linebacker in coverage. And that's probably where I'm going. I think the Giants may be able to run the football, but Mike Purcell's coming back from injury. He's an underrated run defender that they're going to have playing nose tackle. They have Jermon Jones as well as going to be like a 4-I-5 technique for them. I think their front is is solid, but... The Giants, if they can generate some sort of push at the point of attack in their running game, I think that's something Jason Garrett's going to look to try, try to expose and then hopefully open up throwing lanes, take advantage of a young player in Patrick Sertain. But if Kenny Galladay's not 100% healthy, who's going to do that? So, I mean, I definitely have my questions. I think it's a pretty darn good defense, but I think there are some matchups you can exploit, especially if you get some man coverage looks.
2: Yeah, and I'll echo a lot of what Nick said there. But first, I'll say this I think that. That Broncos defense, Lucas, is a lot like what we saw from the Giants defense last year with Patrick Graham, where even though there may appear to be some holes on paper, it doesn't show up in the games. I mean, last year the Broncos were top three in third down defense and red zone defense. Top three. That's elite of elite. And that was without Patrick Zertan, their first round pick, who's about to be, who looks like he's just seamlessly trying to awesome the preseason. That was without Von Miller. Now they're back. Now they're in the lineup for the Broncos. So I don't see too many weaknesses, but Nick nailed it, man. The Giants should do a good job of trying to get Saquon Barkley in these one-on-one matchups against Jewel, against whoever trying to cover him in coverage. Use the Texas routes we've been talking about, those arrow routes. Use different kinds. You could throw him on a wheel. I mean, just try to focus on getting him in the pa- involved in the passing game because that doesn't require two tackles blocking for fifteen seconds or whatever it may be. You know, you can work that into your Jason Garrett esque quick game game plan that we know we're going to see from him you could work that in really well just make him the focal point of the passing game why not there's going to be a great matchup every time there for Barkley in the passing game so I echo what Nick says I think he nailed it that's the way to go and listen we'll see if it happens Garrett's not done a good job in my mind of involving Barkley or any running back in the passing game to this point in his coaching career of the giants but it's still early and that should be a focal point of the meetings in my mind this week and I think it, I hope it will be and uh, there wasn't the most efficient
1: running backs to target last year within this offense with Wayne Gallman, who's not the best receiver out of the backfield. And also, I just want to add last year, Denver's defense, from what I remember, the little bit that I watched on the Denver defense from last season is Michael Ojemudia they I think it was like a third or fourth round pick out of Iowa was the player who was just exposed a lot in the secondary. Now they bring in Sertain, and they also added Kyle Fuller as well, who's a really, really darn good cornerback. So you're looking, you're looking at a deep, deep secondary uh, coached by one of the better defensive minds. I think it's something that can't be understated because you know they can cover, you know they can rush the passer. So the Giants are going to have to try and establish the run against this, this front, which I think they, they may be able to have success doing, but it's definitely not going to be necessarily easy.
3: Well, that's not a great sign to hear that they were third and on third down and third in red zone, the two things we top, struggle top, at
2: most. Top three. I'm not exactly sure where, so don't quote me on that, oh, but okay. I know they were in the top three. They might have even been one or two. So yeah.
3: But, um, if, if we want to use sequence like our focal point, um, do you think we're still looking at having it have a pitch count as well?
1: Yeah. I can't speak to the, uh, his injury to be honest Um, I mean anytime you have a playmaker like Saquon Barkley if he's fully healthy he's probably going to be your one or your two your first or your second option he's just way too talented and good and when you look at this matchup if you are going to struggle I I don't want to say creating separation against these corners but since there's going to be a heavy pass rush I don't expect Jason Garrett as we said earlier in this podcast to be dropping back and wanting to throw the football and really expose these tackles so that might lead to shorter quicker passes and and you can utilize, as we said before, Saquon Barkley in those types of roles. You're probably going to be seeing a lot of double slants, slant flat kind of combinations out of 12 personnel. Try to get players like Kyle Rudolph going a little bit. I think it's just going to be a lot of small A-dot type plays to set up a big play off playoff play action, which is kind of something we've seen Garrett and a lot of coordinators do. But we saw Garrett do that a lot last year when he had bad tackle play as well.
3: All right. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm driving through your new state right now, Nick. Oh, you're in Arizona? Yep.
1: What are you, what are you doing here? Where are where you at?
3: Uh, Well, I'm driving for work from California back to Texas, and I'm stopping in Flagstaff tonight.
1: Flagstaff's nice, man. I mean, it's really, really green up there, dude. No, I was uh, I was pretty surprised when I drove through it. All right, very cool. All Thank you, guys. Yeah, Lucas, you take care and be safe on the road, bro. Thank you. Yeah, do we have another request? Yes, we do. Adam Johnson's going to be joining us. Adam was good. You there,
4: Adam?
5: You there with us, Adam? What, what's going on, fellas? How hey, man, doing, how you man? doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Waiting for tonight. Waiting for the Cowboys to lose this game real quick. <laughs> <Wow. So laughs> I'm hoping
1: if they come out and make this competitive, which I don't expect, I'm going to be mad. But I swear, sometimes unexpected things just end up happening. But I, <sighs>
5: Dallas that's <out>. true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with, with Zach Martin not playing tonight, I'm hoping that it'll right. affect them a little bit.
2: And That's the good. line keeps moving, Vegas usually knows. The line moved all the way from 7.5 to 9.5, so Vegas usually knows.
1: Absolutely. It's going to be ugly for them.
2: Absolutely. I just wanted to bring up
5: something about the special teams in this game because being that both teams um, are both kind of evenly matched with um, both defenses being really good, I think Kadarius Tony can have a big play in this game and special teams. I think this can be like a Joe Judge special. <laughs> Actually, because special teams is his thing. So I can really see Kadarius Tony being a big X factor in this game. What you guys think?
1: From a special teams perspective, I absolutely think that could be where they really want to utilize Kadarius Tony's skill set. And you know, Joe Judge, Thomas McGahey, Tom Quinn, all these guys on staff, I mean, they're all special teams minded. They all work in special teams. McGahey's the coordinator, Quinn is the assistant. He's been around the Giants, it seems like forever. I think that they really studied the tape. They really grinded through the film, and they're going to try to do some things on special teams to give themselves an advantage. And, I mean, we always say it here on the podcast, and it's very, very common football knowledge, is football is, you know, three phases, and special teams sometimes gets neglected. I don't believe it gets neglected on the Giants. We can see that by some of the personnel moves they have made over the – the last year since Joe Judge has been there, I mean, they still have Colin Gillespie on the roster. They bring in Nate Ebner. They keep Colin Gillespie. I mean, they, it seems like they really put a high priority on on players who can excel in that phase of football. So, I mean, Adam, to be honest with you, there better be some sort of edge the Giants can get on special teams with the, all the focus they put on it. And Tony should be a part of that.
5: Yeah, man. I just think it's it's gonna it's gonna come down to like one big player too in
1: in this game, man. man. And,
5: and and like you guys said with with Saquon. Is either going to be between Saquon and Kadarius Tony, in my opinion. <laughs>
2: well, I love that call. I'd love to see Kadarius Tony already be a part of this thing. I mean, from what I've heard, he does look good out there. From a health standpoint, he looks good. Now it's just a matter of the mental standpoint, like how far advanced is he. Special teams, that might be it. Maybe that's the calling. But remember, earlier this offseason, season, Giants special teams coordinator basically said special teams, and specifically he was referring to punt returning, it's a lot more of a mental game than people realize. And I don't think he'll, I'm not sold to put him out there till he's fully comfortable with him from that mental standpoint, but maybe that's now, who knows? I mean, I'm with you. He could definitely provide a spark. And even if it's just for one of those punt returns, that might be all they need to make the difference in this game. Something I'm not, that's what I hope to see, man, because I do want to see
1: Kadarius out there, man. I mean, this is a, like, we've talked how much on this podcast, Dan, about how we feel like this rookie class, we haven't gotten really a chance to see many of them outside of uh, Aziz Ojalari, who's been dinged up a little bit, and Gary Brightwell and Rodarius Point or Rodarius uh, Williams, our two,
2: two six round picks. Yep, exactly. I mean, listen, it's been an ugly, unfortunate offseason for the Giants from an injury standpoint. He's been hit by the injury bug, but it could be worse, man. They could be the Ravens right now,
1: dude. Oh, um, that's all the Ravens, man. But yeah, Devonte back in the league. <laughs> all right,
5: Adam, you have anything else for us, man? Um, I just wanted to ask you guys: Did you guys do any any homework on Colin Johnson yet, and what he can, what can he um, con- contribute to the team?
1: Yeah, so I've uh, I dove into Colin Johnson for uh, Giants Country Sports Illustrated. And, I mean, I I like him from a size – he's one of those size-speed type of athletes. I think he creates separation pretty well, and he's relatively fluid for a bigger receiver. I don't know what his impact is going to be on this team with Kenny Galladay healthy. I think he's more of a – you know, poor man's Kenny Galladay. If something were to happen to Galladay, he'd be a nice option to kind of step in because of the separation quickness, because of the size, the contested catchability. I mean, he goes up there, climbs a ladder, and he comes down with balls away from his frame – uh, quite often at least he has the potential to do that that last year in Jacksonville he had a rapport with Mike Glennon and they connected a couple times on, on big horizontal crossing routes and, and route on, on routes that were kind of up the sideline both of those were kind of his uh, MO so I mean he has no problem going over the middle of the field and and making some tough catches in traffic but you look at the Giants depth chart right now and there's a lot of wide receivers there so I don't expect him to kind of playing over the Darius Slaytons and the Sterling Shepherds of the world. I think he's more security for Kenny Galladay because he can fit into that prototypical ex-receiver role if something were to happen to Galladay.
5: Hey, Hey Nick, wouldn't you love to see Kenny Galladay Johnson and Rudolph in the red zone though being used?
1: just big bodies everywhere. I mean, yeah, I would, but I wouldn't want it to be at the expense of someone like Sterling Shepard who can really release off the line of scrimmage and just manipulate defenders. But if you can get, like, size mismatches, and if that's it, they even end up dressing someone like Colin Johnson, If they dress him, then I expect him to be used in some capacity. I mean, he could just be on the fifty-three right now because the Giants like him. And then he doesn't make the 46 uh, to dress, and he could just be undressed which is something that could happen with Colin Johnson, but we'll have to wait and see. But, I mean, from a size perspective, I would would like to see that. But uh, what's going to happen, though, this is just going to be a bunch of fade balls, and that's something that a low percentage... I was
2: just going to jump in and say, Adam, be careful what you wish for, because Jason Garrett is one of the coordinators in the NFL, throws a lot of those goal line fade routes, and those have been... Analytically speaking, those are some of the lowest percentage routes, and I know Nick, you harped on this before as well. Those are some of the lowest percentage routes in the NFL to run in the red zone, and Jason Garrett has a big tendency to call them because he's Jason Garrett. And so I don't know if I want to tempt him with more guys to run those fades. Hey Dan, if that's the case, then never mind <laughs> <laughs> it. I take don't it Don't give Garrett more reason to run those goal line fades, please. You're right. I've seen enough of them.
1: hey if he's gonna run the goal line fades though i would rather it be with players that are built like a colin johnson and a Kevin holiday than a darius slayton who is like four inches shorter than those players
5: yeah well i appreciate you guys man that's
1: all i have for tonight thank you
2: thanks for joining us man thanks man have a good one
4: talk to you soon
1: all righty we got scatty moses is joining us scatty what's good
4: Hey, what's going on, fellas? How you doing, man? Hey, uh, doing good. Uh, excited to talk some Giants here. I'm a big uh, Plexico Burris fan. Um, also a fan of the old uh, We Fly High New York Giants remix by Jim Jones. Bro, I don't- Scatty, that was my MySpace song back in the MySpace. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no no way. way. Bringing back good no memories way. of like when it was actually fun to watch this team.
4: <laughs> oh yeah. And I think I mean I think those days are coming back. The the Giants are just an extremely prestigious classic NFL franchise. And it's it's one of those franchises that I think the league is better off when they're good, <laughs> truly. Um the uh the questions that I have for you guys are what do you think Tony's ceiling is career-wise? I don't I have kind of measured expectations for this year. Um but just career-wise and then also, uh, will the defense continue its strong play just right off the bat? Or will they have to kind of warm up again like they did last year? Well, one
1: reason why they had to warm up last year uh, – damn, you stepped in after this, man. But one reason they had to warm up last year was because it was a truncated offseason, new defense, new personnel. So I'm hoping – that that won't have to happen. I think from the secondary standpoint, I'm not as worried that maybe up front, if if, if Austin Johnson and Danny Shelton, for whatever reason, struggle in the role that Dalvin Tomlinson did in those tight fronts, performed in those tight fronts specifically, then I might be a little bit more worried if, if, if uh, for whatever reason, that happens. But I'm not overly worried about the defense right now. You hope they could play up and exceed the uh, the expectations that we kind of have for them and what they ended up doing in 2020 if they stay if they end up staying healthy and everything. But uh, I'm not really worried about them. But, Dan, what's your uh, opinion on the Kadarius, Tony? Because I, I, I am kind of taking it game at a time at the moment. I don't really have any any grand things to say about his uh, development, you know, years down the road just because so many things can happen. There's just a lot of variables.
2: Well, I'll say this. But, for, but first I want to touch on the defense, Scotty. I think you're going to unfortunately see a situation where they don't. Uh, get off to a slow start, and they hit the ground running because matchups against Teddy Bridgewater and Ryan Fitzpatrick are ripe for the picking, in my mind, for Patrick Graham as a coordinator and for a defense that's added to talent. You know, there's ta- more talent this year than there was last year on this defense. There's better players across the board. It's deeper. And the injuries bug has not hit them by this point on the defense. Maybe a little bit worse in the offense, not really on the defense. So I don't think you're going to see a drop-off there. But I will say this when it comes to Darius Tony, For me, I think... It is a long-term play for the Giants, in my mind at least, because here's what I think about Tony. I think his skill set leads to a higher upside, a higher ceiling than a lot of the prospects in this class, because he's just really still learning the position. He's at this point basically limited, in my mind, to playing the slot. Eventually, I think he could potentially play outside, because we've seen smaller receivers, Steve Smith, Antonio Brown, play outside. But his route running is so raw. I mean, he's learning how to do that. But when you have a skill set like that where you can cut on a dime, restart your momentum, get to zero and 60 as fast as he can, but then also once the ball's in his hand, get low, create yards after contact, create force missed tackles, It leads to a potential, potentially in my mind, higher ceiling as a route runner, as an overall complete receiver. But it's all on him. I mean, he's going to have to work to refine that game. He's going to have to work his ass off in my mind to refine that game because he's incredibly raw. So I do like the ceiling when it comes to the Tony pick. He's not the receiver I would have taken on draft day. He's not the receiver I would have taken now. I would never have taken him over Elijah Moore. And to this day, I still have one have. Elijah Moore's looked awesome before the injury in camp. Uh, Bateman, I would have taken over him, but that can be debated. They're totally different prospects. And I do think Tony honestly has a higher ceiling than someone like Bateman. Because again, he's so raw, and yet that ability to stop and start makes him really intriguing to me as a route runner.
1: Yeah, and I second that as well. It's just projection-wise, Scatty for for years to come. It's just so many, so much development has to happen. So, I mean, I think he could be a really, really good receiver. But first, I just want to see him on the damn football field, to be honest, before I make any sort of declaration he still needs to work on a lot of different aspects to his game as we brought matt Harmon on the podcast and he discussed how he struggled to separate from man coverage which is something that he's going to have to work on obviously at this level but that's not an athletic issue whatsoever it's much more of a technical issue and i
2: guess a route running issue release
1: off the line of scrimmage versus press type of issue because athletically he's more than capable
2: and let's keep this in mind the upside i'm not the upside but the likelihood is if the giants offense doesn't take a step forward this year a big step they're going to make jason garrett the scapegoat jason garrett will be the (laughs) scapegoat in my mind uh daniel jones will return it may not be what i think is the best move for the franchise i'll tackle that in the offseason depending on how jones performs but i know the giants well enough from covering this team for many years and from following them that i think they're committed to jones beyond this year even before this year starts so I think Garrett will be the scapegoat. And then as we move forward with a completely brand-new, different system, that in my mind will then look almost nothing like Garrett's system. I think they'll try to go far away from it. It will benefit Tony because this system right now does not at all benefit Tony's skill set in my personal opinion. And so that's another thing to keep in mind as we move forward.
4: Oh, that's uh, uh, – making Jason Garrett the scapegoat cracked me up because it's just, you know, who's who's a more perfect scapegoat than Jason Garrett? Exactly. and it the, just seems like how it's the NFL, man. Whenever, whenever <laughs> there's struggles, you just fall. In the, throw it at one coordinator. And he's just right. He's he's so easy to blame for everything, and it may he may in fact be you know deserving of all that blame. The thing um, that I think is a good fit with the Giants and Tony is when he does get the ball, he runs with such purpose and rage and passion. That I think that that's. You know, that's, that's going to be good for just, like, the, the football culture moving forward. Whether you can get open and get the ball, we'll see. But I just – I really like tough players in the blue. It just – it fits. You, you know, must I think love that's
2: it. an excellent point, Scotty, because you know what I was thinking when he came to the draft? I was like, he reminds me most – my comp for him was Alvin Kamara, even though he's not a, he's not a, a receiver, Kamara. But you know who he kind of <laughs> reminds me of in that sense? And I love how you said that. He runs so angry with the ball. He runs so low to the ground. He slips out of so many tackles. When I was watching the film at Florida, in some ways, the Giants haven't had a player like that since Ahmad Bradshaw. Ahmad Bradshaw was a similar type of player with the ball in his hands after contact, before contact. And at one point, I think it was Teddy Bruschi who said Ahmad Bradshaw runs the football like he's angry at the grass, and that's kind of how Tony runs with the ball in his hands too, like he's angry at the grass. And I think you're right. It gives it pumps up the team. It gives you know it's. It has a little bit of – it's a tough way to play football, and he's a really tough player as well. Unfortunately, it did lead to a a good amount of injuries for at Florida. We'll we'll have to work on that, I guess, or we'll have to hope we get lucky with the injury bug there. But that's a great point by you.
1: He definitely runs incredibly low to the ground, man. And, again, I just love players that will kind of just absorb contact and not, like – not be affected by it. Like He gets hit, and you saw it plenty of times at Florida, and he just either spins off it and might stop him, but he doesn't go down. And It's almost like, how the heck does this guy have the center of gravity to to withstand a hit from a linebacker who may outweigh him by like 30 pounds? So I'm looking forward to see it be implemented in this office. One thing I will say, though, is I, I hope he just tucks that ball away and uh, doesn't get a little bit careless with that when he is trying to do his thing with the football because a lot of the things that he ended up doing in college, I don't think you're going to get away with as much in the NFL. If you don't have that ball really secure, because guys are going to be coming after it, which we saw in the Missouri game uh, this past season.
4: And uh, football is a game that, that tests one's hearts. And I I have the, the injury bug is, is something to worry about when someone, when someone does play so angry. Um, And, Tony Tony's just going to be interesting to keep keep an eye on because he's the other side of the Justin Fields trade. And I know people aren't talking about it now. But years down the line, it's going to matter quite a bit how good Tony becomes because I'm sure Justin Fields is going to be great. That's just my take. Um, So it's just kind of a, you know, you hope that works out for both sides kind of thing. I'm going to step off the stage, but thanks for taking my questions. Great work. Absolutely, Scatty. Thank you for
1: calling in, man. It was a lot
2: of fun. But, uh, yeah, there's no more requests, Dan. Do you have anything else? No, we'll wrap it up there. Listen, we're really excited about this coming season, about the Giants, about our coverage. I'm really excited to get back into breaking down the All-22 and having those two podcasts every week for you guys, one on the offense, one on the defense. We're going to try to get even more interviews with uh, you know, beat writers and analysts from other teams the Giants will be facing. We'll try to get one of those up a week. Obviously the reaction pods as well. I'm really excited, man. I hope we finally have a good team to cover. I think it's possible, Nick. I'm less I'm less optimistic than I was, I'll be honest, at the beginning of August and at the beginning of July. There's no denying it. It hasn't been great to watch this offense in the preseason. I don't love Jason Garrett. I have my reservations about Jones, but listen, and the offensive line, of course, but the defense is so good, man, and it's healthy, and it could be even better if disease is what I think it could be. And if even more importantly, Lorenzo Carter is taking the jump that it seems like Patrick Graham thinks he has taken. Like You heard Patrick Graham wax poetic about Lorenzo Carter when he spoke about him the other day. I haven't heard Patrick Graham wax poetic like that about anyone on this roster in the two years he's been here, like the way he talked about Carter. And if Carter and Aziz can make an impact with a Dory Jackson, with a healthy Xavier McKinney, they may just have, in my mind, a top five potentially better defense in the NFL. Like I've been taking the Giants in some fantasy leagues because they get Washington and Denver the open the season, but also because this defense might be top five. It really might be, and that's what has me excited. Hopefully Barkley can be the splash play guy they need. You know they're going to lead on the run. Grind out some wins, man. Let's get to 10 or 11. What well, we're
1: hoping. I would say they definitely have the potential to be, and I'm in the same boat as you too, Dan. I, I, I'm not as optimistic as I was probably through the offseason, but this is still... This team, this division, this division's up for grabs. This team can be one that seizes it. I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to be probably better than expected, although we may not see that tonight. And then uh, Washington's going to be a challenge as well. But if things come together for the Giants, they can make the playoffs this year, which would be really, really exciting.
2: And let's end it on this. Remember, guys, fun fact of the night. Not a single team since 2004 has been a repeat champion in the NFC. Not a single team since 2004. That's 20 years of football. And so maybe the Giants can be that team that dethrones Washington this year, as Washington does not repeat, something like that. Let's see it happen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your night, and we'll talk to you soon.
6: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.